0: Hello, welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. I am Dan Morgan. I'm joined by Oliver Connolly, Joe Rabinovitz Liverpool.com staff writers and making his Liverpool.com podcast debut, David Lynch. Gents, hope you're all well. Um, a nice one for you to come into, Dave, after Liverpool uh, went to Arsenal and won 3-0 at his victory at the Emirates Stadium. I want to go round and offer you uh, the chance to answer this question with one word and Oliver Connolly, I'll start with you. Do Liverpool go on to beat Arsenal on Saturday if Diogo Jota isn't available to come on from the bench? Yes. Joe, no. Dave, no.
1: Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> you got to defend that now, Ollie. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll. Yeah,
2: um, that that front three line has scored hundreds and hundreds of goals for the club. You know, I, I think that I, I, they were so in control, and um, I, I know. Your point, Dan, is that still it's, there's something not quite right. There's a, there's a fluidity lacking. And when Jota comes on, he brings such an incisiveness, such directness, such energy. It is everything that they're lacking. I do feel like that Arsenal team is so poor and they were so in control that even just a corner and it goes off someone's head, I, I feel like they would have found a way to break through or a penalty or something. It just might not have looked quite as incisive as, as obviously emphatic as they wound up looking at the end with Jota coming on.
0: Dave, there is, there is still a lingering front three question here, isn't there? Um, Ollie, Ollie's words around fluidity are the right words to use, um, but to me, it's the casualness and it's the wastefulness that's that's still there. And I'm not sure whether you can pinpoint it now on one particular thing, or you can say that it's you know young enough to still call a blip. It does feel like maybe, and I'm listening. I'll, I'll back these these forwards to the hilt for what they've done for this club, but. The first time it just does feel like to me that it might need breaking up in some form going into next season
1: yeah it's sort of hard to judge i think what you know we're saying there about whether they would have won the game or not if if they hadn't had jota and he he just looks in a sort of in a different place to so many other members of that front three so particularly obviously Firmino and and Mane the ones who's for me really sort of concerned about obviously Salah's kept up his goal scoring this season been absolutely fine and and playing really well but you, it is it's the other two isn't it that you have concerns about and, and it is just that little lack of fluidity that that sort of final moment in front of goal just not looking as convincing as he usually would and, and and Jota you know you, you wonder whether it's because he's played less football this season he's, he's less jaded maybe than they are because he's had that that time off through injury and that that's helped him to so just you know he's, he's infinitely more ruthless than, than Marne and Firmino isn't he in front of goal this season so I think if if there is a long term conversation about well the there it exists to to break up that front three then you know Jota is is banging on the door as he needs to take one of those places because he he could not be doing more than he than he is at the moment his, his goal rate the season's outrageous I think he's averaging a goal every 120 minutes in the Premier League and Champions League so far and yeah he he's, he just looks like a, another world class option they've got there so I think you know if you're Firmino Oman, you, you're certainly looking over your shoulder because uh, the, the the fella behind them is is ready to to take their place now.
0: Is it is it as simple, Joel? As Liverpool need just some more options, and and you know you, you could anyone could have argued back to me the point that yeah they might not have won the game if they didn't have them on the bench, but they did, and they, and they went on to win the game, and that that is just the cold hard fact. And is it you know Ferguson was always great at selling uh, a player when he felt he needed to, and it was the right thing for the squad. You think about Beckham, Van Nistelrooy, even Cristiano to an extent, um, but. There's uh, there's no real screaming need for me for Liverpool to to get rid of Salah, for example, to get rid of either of them, any of them. I think it just looks to me like they need more options for different game states going into the next campaign.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that they obviously identified this last summer as something that needed to be addressed, even after a season or two seasons in which they did what was it, 196 points across those two with. The standard front three they kind of saw that there was an obvious need to, to add another one who was younger and, and hungry and could make that step up like they have and kind of to lose him for three months that he was he was the problem solver in games like that Arsenal one there were countless examples while he was out games like West Brom at home come to mind Newcastle away United at home games like Oli's talking you know, Liverpool looked in kind of complete control in most of those games and you think the goal is going to come but there's kind of there is a lack of, of cutting edge I suppose with those and it was there was an example I think in the first half um, against Arsenal where Mane I think he, he did a brilliant kind of turn ran away from two or three players surged into the box and all he needed to do was keep on going and he would have had a clear shot on goal but instead he kind of pauses takes an extra touch tries to lay it off to Firmino and it, it ends up just sort of petering out into nothing and I mean that was a really clear example mm-hmm. of kind of where last season Mane probably just goes for goal there and scores himself but I think what's been interesting seeing Jota come back into the team after this three months out is he's not carrying any of that burden. I think some of these players, even though the results have picked up Liverpool recently, psychologically would have been really tough what they've been through since Christmas. And Jota, because he's been out of the pitch, hasn't had to kind of wade through all that. Um, So he's just kind of come in. There's no weight on his shoulders at all. And yeah, like Ollie says, he's just... He offers something completely different. It's difficult to kind of pinpoint a specific skill that he's kind of necessarily better at than any of the front three, because he's not, I wouldn't say, he's he's definitely not quicker than Mane or Salah. And his his finishing, um, it's the variety of his finishing, I think. Um, I mean, I wrote a piece this week looking at his headers, which is something that I thought when they bought him, you expected him to sort the kind of the tap-in poacher finishes that he was scoring at Wolves. But the fact he's now got four headers in his last five, Um, goals for Liverpool and Portugal now. He's just such a a diverse threat, I think. Um, So, I think going into next summer, I'd quite like, I've seen a lot of people saying that we need to go for an out-on-out number nine, a centre-forward. I'd quite like to see another sort of Jota-style player who can pretty much play across the forward line. I've spoken repeatedly about Neto at Wolves, who might seem a bit samey because he is kind of quite close to Jota in terms of play style. But I think if they can get another one in that sort of 21 to 24 age bracket, you can play left, right, or through the middle. I mean, that's probably what I would look to do.
2: The, the one thing I would say on that, though, is you go through Premier League history, it's hard to find a front three where they all kind of have similar physical profiles and similar mm. kind of... A lot of our stuff is speed and direct, and all of locals build-up play in the club era has been isolated two wide guys. It's very efficient. They don't touch the ball a lot when you end up with the end-of-season numbers and they're hyper-efficient when they get the ball. If you have three of them, it sounds really fun in theory. I think over the, the course of a season, that kind of three in the row and they move positions is it, kind of what you get in your mind. But you go through all the great trios, even Tevez, Rini, Ronaldo, one of them is a drop-off and crate player. Same with Neymar, Messi, Suarez. Suarez and Messi both drop-off and can drop and crate. And and uh, Salah did that at Rome. He was kind of a drifting-off-the-wing playmaker than he was, but he wound up being at Liverpool. So maybe you could get that from him, but... You go through all of them and usually you have one either battering ram or a drop guy, and then you get the two flyers who go in behind. I think it would be hard to run a full season with three diminutive speedy forwards. And that's your that's your style. You got a ton of creative burden on fullbacks and your midfield there. And I think that's a lot to ask.
1: I think that's think? interesting because when they've gone when they've occasionally tried that, and maybe, you know, Firmino's the one who's probably most under pressure for his place. And when they've tried that and they've gone with Jota. In that, in that position and, and drop Firmino out of there. I think ball retention has been a real issue for Liverpool as well because you've got three players who want to go in behind constantly rather than, you know, none of them naturally really want to come deep that often and that, that causes issues in build-up and, and I think we've seen that in games. It, it, it's not happened very frequently but we've seen it in games. I think uh, one of the Leipzig games is, was when he started with that front three, and I thought keeping the ball was was an issue for Liverpool. So that is that's an interesting point because that's a quandary they're going to have to solve when if they do bring in an additional attacker, it's got to be someone who who brings a bit of what Firmino does to the table. I think.
0: Do you think they've, there's there's a chance of of them looking at what they've take what they can take from from this season into next with with Jota and his developments and saying look, there's possibility we just have to. Especially against sort of the bottom ten to fourteen of the of the league. We just sort of Man City four two four this. And it, it look on paper some variants of a four, two, three, one, but it's that sort of city pinning you in, controlling you, and having four forwards in theory on the pitch who will who will smother you and, and will ensure that, you know, you're not gonna get your your Burnley and Brighton home results that you've seen this season through the frustration that they've been able to cause.
1: I don't know. I think Klopp might be reluctant to use that too frequently, just because I think when when he did see it against Manchester City, I thought it, he was forced into that, really, wasn't he? Because of Jota's form was so good at the time, and the fact that he didn't really have any midfielders he could name, so he was basically he was forced upon him. And I think an issue they had in that game was actually he struggled to sort of get Jota into the positions he usually would be in when he's part of the front three, those goal scoring positions, because there was four of them and they were almost you know at times it was making the same runs and and you know getting in each other's way, and it didn't it didn't completely click in the way that I think that Klopp would have hoped. So I, I don't know if he, I, you know, in the long term, whether that's something he's going to look to, to want to do. And I think his, his main thing about, you know, those games where they drop points is maybe not that they've not had enough attackers on the pitch. It's maybe that some elements of the control of the game haven't been right in midfield and, and protection of the defence and those moments where they've been exploited, I think, and, and creativity hasn't been there. And I think, just sticking the forwards on the pitch is not really something I think he's going to want to do in the long term, which makes this whole thing that we're talking about, about the long-term future of the front three and and changing that and how it looks over time, it makes it difficult for the manager because, you know, if they do bring in an extra forward option because they're in Europe next season, then he's, you know, those difficult decisions that he's largely avoided this season because of uh, Jossa being out for such a long time, he's going to have to make those nearly every week and that that's going to be difficult to move on from that front three. You've, you've done so much for him and been so good, and he's trusted them for so long. Um, you, you know, you wouldn't like to be the manager having that conversation every week that that you know Firmino's dropped, or Mane misses this game, or, or you know Salah. It's it's a difficult one for managers.
3: Just to add on that one, I think there was a couple of other examples as well earlier in the season when he tried a sort of one Was it Sheffield United and and maybe West Ham at home when he did it? And then he played Jota with the front three. And it, I think it is one of those, it, it sounds better and more exciting on paper than it actually ends up being in reality. Because like you said, they are all fairly similar. I think where it is really useful and where I think is is changing against Arsenal was really effective um, against tired legs. I think that can be a real solution for Liverpool on the sort of 55, 60 minute mark. If they haven't kind of found a breakthrough, and they need to kind of go up a gear. I think bringing one of them, whoever it is, off the bench to make it a front four during a game in the second half is something we could see quite a lot more of going forward and something Liverpool have missed the option of doing over the last few months. But I think I probably agree with Dave there on a long-term basis. I struggle to see him sort of veering too far away from a three-man attack. And I think, yeah, that'll be kind of the main thing next season is is having the option to change it during a game um, more so than kind of reverting to that as a standard thing. Ali, is, there a,
0: is there a possibility we all end up, by we all, I mean me, um, looking foolish with statements like this in in light of something really simple happening like Sadio Mane getting a bit of form back? I mean, Salah is weirdly his own thing through all of this. Like He, he can be any type of forward you want him to be at any one time and he still delivers numbers. Firmino's... Evolution means his identity is, is changing constantly. Um, but I think you've got a real argument. This is probably Mane's toughest spell of form since that first half of 2017 18 when he gets sent off against City um, and he goes on a real sort of bad and spell. There's that really bad miss against Everton, I remember in the derby. And then he gets his form back around New Year when he scores against Burnley away on New Year's Day. And, you know, if Sadio Mane sort of decides that he, he's going to be his. 2019-20 uh, incumbents for the next 15 months. Are we all sort of saying what were we worried about?
2: Yeah, possibly. What's what's interesting over the last couple of months, I was talking about this with, with you, the two of you on the call this morning, that they, they've become a lot more match-to-match oriented in changing the mechanics of the build-up play in a way they've never done before. So you get the stretch, you mentioned the 4 4 there, nothing like really they've ever done before. The mechanics were a bit all over the place. You end up at West Brom at home. They played one-to-one across the board. They were just lined up with six people. Everyone stood man-to-man across the board. It didn't work. Then they go to that 3-2-5 and discuss the at Sheffield United, Chelsea. Then at Arsenal, they build in a 3-3-4, three, three, different than anything they've done essentially for the past two months, Firmino's playing as a centre midfielder for a ton of that build-up. I think he wants to, Klopp, become more of someone in that Guardiola vein. We see them, they build up with 3-1-6 almost all the time now. They change who the wide players are, essentially, on a match-to-match basis. I think he wants to be a manager who can go into every game with a different plan, if need be, and just get him as many different skill sets. So he has a Mane, he has a Jota, he has a Firmino. And if that means Firmino is one day lining up as essentially an inside left number 10 but he writes him down on the team sheet as a striker and you know, we say it's a 4-3-3. Three, three. I think he's cool with that. I don't think they're as good as they think they are at doing that. I think you made a good point today. They kind of are better when it's a, a five-match plan, often because of suspension or injury. And it's like, okay, we'll just run a four-two-three-one 2 3 one now, with Shaqiri playing on the right side. I think when they know what they're doing and they can just rep it and it's just match, 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 they're so much better than when him and Pep Linders get in a room and they try and identify single one-game plans and try and get a bit funky and creative with some of the build-ups. So I think they've been overthinking a lot of stuff this season. And if next season it turns out that Sadio Mane is just Sadio Mane again, and he's world class, and he's flying off the left, and him and Robertson are just flying together. It will all just sort itself out if that left side combination clicks, and Trent is Trent because he's had a rest, and same with Mosella I think it will all just slot together, and, and, and we'll be fine, and it will be really simplistic, and it'll just be Jota or Firmino coming off the bench at some point.
0: Just on Jota, Dave. I mean, he's—I think he's not—he's not getting the, the credit he, he perhaps deserves in the sense that. I'm not sure this is all sort of by accident. I, mean, I think he's clearly seen an opportunity for him to create his own identity at Liverpool through um, what he might perceive that they've been lacking. And there's a real, there's a real certainty about him between the posts. I'd say, in a way that, I mean, he's not, he's not putting everything top corner out to reach a goalkeeper's, but everything he does is precise. It's it's targeted, it's clean, and he's he sort of well he has completely re, remolded his whole identity as a forward. And like I said, I, I'm I'm starting to think now that maybe maybe with a little bit of coaching and and a, and a bit of encouragement from from the likes of Klopp and Lindes that you know th- this sort of this sort of version of Diogo Jota that nobody really seen at Wolves was something that the have of have been some ways, created and harnessed. Yeah,
1: it, that it's about his efficiency in the box, isn't it? He's just it, you know he's absolutely capable of getting himself into goal scoring positions and then making clean contact with the ball. And he, he's just utterly ruthless when he gets in those positions. It's um he's he's been a revelation, and I think you know if he'd been fit the whole season, any debate about the the best signing of the season, he would have it wrapped up by now because he's you know the, the rate he's scoring goals, it doesn't you know hasn't even been a drop-off since he came back in from that injury so he's uh he's an absolutely phenomenal player and he is he's the next he's the next step isn't he for this for this front three it's you know we're all saying about this debate about who drops out and and that's a difficult one to sort of square at the moment but it has to happen because Jota is, is ready to take that mantle he's he's at the level that these these forward players we've seen for so long he's at that level now in terms of his goal scoring contribution so it's um yeah it's an interesting one another sort of you know huge tick in the box for michael edwards and, and their ability to scout players and see that there's sort of some level of undervaluation on them as well because i think you know joss's price at the time everyone sort of went oh, 40 million oh, that's that's quite expensive for a player from Wolves. it already i i already think we're in a position where that looks like a bargain just for what he can give liverpool in the long term his age profile the fact he's scoring goals at the rate he is now you know you extrapolate that over the next five years of his contract and he'll he'll prove a snip won't he so it's yeah just an incredible footballer a brilliant player it has been just a joy to watch and, and i think i think between now and the end of the season really interesting to see you know who he displaces isn't it
0: yeah totally i mean ollie you're writing a piece today on on the the difference between uh, jota and Timo Werner and and a lot of the the sort of narratives around that i mean it do, it is encouraging still, despite what happens with Liverpool this season even if they don't make champions league that you do have that body of evidence there of a player who has been picked up who no one really you know has any sort of identity in terms of oh let's go and get him in the summer and and completely you know just seeing him thrive and, and seeing him just how much he enjoys it as well he's absolutely loving life at Liverpool.
2: Yeah, why wouldn't he? Scoring goals every time he steps onto the pitch, it must be really fun. Getting world-class delivery from all over the gaff, it's got to be a great time. And you've got to think at at Wolves, remember, I remember when we signed him, we spoke about it, they had what you would call a pressing system in like posh new parlance, which is basically Diogo, you go and run around a lot and we'll all stand back here. So to move from that kind of system to what he's doing now, where it's like, wait, I get to touch the ball 20 times a game and almost all of them are in the box. This is amazing. It has to be a blast. That deal they signed this summer, I was going through the numbers today, given that it, they did it all in installments, they got a deal that was basically, we'll do a flat installment payment rather than the traditional model now, which is you pay a lump up front and then you install you know, the last bits out. It's every year we'll get the same cash amount you know, on the 1st of July or whatever. That plus wages is basically £15 million pound a year for Diogo Jota. Fifty million man, which they could probably get for Divock Origi in the summer if they wanted to um, from a Bundesliga team. So it, it is just a, an unbelievable bargain. It's half the wages of Timo Werner, and you can go back and forth on whether you'd be a different player playing for Jurgen Klopp. Is it a mental thing versus a talent thing? It, it's undeniably one of the finest deals of the Michael Edwards era to me already. I know that the Robertson and that's like almost a different level of bargain. And Mohamed Salah's one of the finest players ever played in the Premier League at that value too. But the way he built that deal under that climate, when he had almost no bargaining chips and he's being told, you've got no money, but if you want to try and make a deal that looks like £50 million pound in the press, but is really just £15 million, pound, Go and do it. And so with that budget, he found this little delightful player who will go on and play for them now probably for six, seven, eight years at this level. It's as good as he's ever done. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: Yeah, I mean, Joel, you, you touched on Neto before as a possibility of who who they might add. I mean, we've got to look at Harvey Elliott as well, right? We, we've got to assume that there's, there's real plans for him next season too.
3: I would think so, yeah. Not necessarily as someone who, who will come in and, and start a whole load of games, although I do think in the domestic cups he's, he's probably a player to try and um, definitely use from the start. I think where I could see Elliot coming in real handy next season is kind of if we're presuming that Shakiri and Origi move on, um, as long as there are actually clubs willing to buy them this summer. Um, I think you could see Elliot sort of taking the role that Shakiri has played a few times this season, where he's, he's coming off the bench around the 70-minute mark when a game's level or Liverpool need a goal because um, he's he's kind of got quite a lot of similar skill sets, I think, to Shaqiri. I think he's a little bit quicker, but in terms of that left-footed kind of left player coming from the right-hand side um, and playing that sort of diagonal ball in behind, I can really imagine him sort of making a, a real impact next season. And I think the thing as well, you saw it last season in the games that he did have in the kind of the Cups and stuff, is is game maturity in general. And um, his kind of ball retention. He's not just trying silly things and showboating here and there. He's he's a really smart player for his age. And I think I'm right in saying he's not even turned 18 yet, which and given you look at his numbers in the championship this season, I think he's, if not top, he's near the top of the assist table. He's in double figures for assists for Blackburn. Um Is unbelievable, really. So I think at, at the moment, I would almost quite like to see him, at least for the first half of the season, whilst Liverpool are in the League Cup and the FA Cup, keep him there rather than send him straight back on loan again. Just see what you can get out of him because you never know. You could get to sort of December time and the games are coming thick and fast and a player like Elliot could be really useful and he's going to be one who's, who's going to be desperate to come back and, and make a big impression over the summer. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think he's one that we shouldn't really sort of discount in the whole conversation around the front three. I'm not quite convinced yet. I, I haven't seen enough of him, obviously, at Liverpool to kind of definitively say what his long-term position is yet. He doesn't, Seem to have a huge amount of pace running in behind quite as much he seems more of a player who's going to kind of pick up those positions between the midfield and attack more like a sort of number 10 or attacking midfielder which how that plays into liverpool's 4-3-3 i'm not entirely sure um whether he'll be kind of a long-term front free option or kind of over time whether we see him sort of gradually move slightly deeper um that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye out but yeah massively exciting and i think we've got a lot to look forward to with him next season do you think that um, Phil Foden changes that calculus any, Dan? I,
2: I know the City's squad was different. And they had Sane and the Silvers, and it was like world-class talent keep him out, but he was kept quite a lot longer back from the public view. He had this this mm. reputation at uh, uh, 17 of being the best 17-year-old in the world, and we just never got to see him unless he was playing for England. And they really waited until they are like, this lad's actually world-class now, and so we'll play him now. Uh, again, I know it's different for them than the squad, debt, but you think that that kind of could become the formula now where it's like, why are we giving this lad 400 minutes of a bench a season? Let's just keep him away from the public. Let's go and send him back to Blackburn. Let's send him to Swansea. Let's do whatever. Keep him away from people. And when we think he's really ready to make an impact on the first team, then we bring him in. And this guy, the old school style of you drip feed them games and they kind of slowly work their way into the first team. Do you think that could change at all with
0: someone as special as Elliot? I'm not sure. And I think it comes back to... It comes back to the moving variables. I'd say, you know, if, if suddenly Salah decides he wants to leave in the summer and there's, there's someone there to buy him, then you're having a completely different conversation. But did the the flip side of that is also if, if there's someone like Aneto who represents the same value as a Jota, then is it is that too good a deal to, to turn down as sort of a one-off? I think, I mean, Dave, you will know more about this than me with how they look at Elliot. But I think they really, really think he can be something. And I, and I think they, I think they'll be, they'll be more certain of themselves with how they've developed someone like Curtis too, to say that in this environment we know this player can be right. And if it's if it's the fact that he's he's just eighteen or or what, it doesn't matter. I mean, Dave, what what do you think they'll do? I mean, they do they do seem to really like him, don't they?
1: Yeah, well, the, the plan, and I think this is a lot, is the, the plan wasn't to, to loan him out this season at all. That that was very much a, a last-minute decision. I mean, you obviously can read into the fact that he, he only goes on, on deadline day anyway. But the the fact that, you know, he very much expected that, that Shaqiri would eventually leave at some point this summer. As we know, he's spoken about it publicly, that he had a few offers, but sort of decided he, he thought it would be better served staying at Liverpool. and. It, if Shakiri had moved on, I think you know you would have seen Elliot picking up those minutes that Shakiri's had this season. I think the idea is that that spot is probably going to open up this summer. I think you know we we know fans are coming back, so football clubs are going to have a little bit more cash this summer, or they can expect it to come in. So I think you know I think this is the summer where Shakiri moves on, and I think that opens up that spot nicely for Elliot. I think they they believe that he could basically take on that supporting role, and you know that was the plan for Curtis Jones, for example, to take Adam Lalana's minutes this season. Obviously he's ended up doing quite a lot more because of the injuries, but you know, that is what the plan was for him. So I think that's I think that's how it's gonna work. I think you'll see Shakiri move on this summer. And I think that, that spot is then then ready for Elliot. And it, it's you know, it's not gonna be regular first team minutes, is it? We don't see Shakiri that often, you know, aside from when there's serious injuries. But um, you know, I think that'll be the, the way they wanna play it is to sort of give him the League Cup guaranteed, FA Cup guaranteed, and then see what else he can pick up in the Premier League. And and I think Jürgen Klopp's minded, I, I see all he's saying about Foden, and it was sort of strange to see how long it took him to break in at City. And, you know, sometimes it made me all, almost doubt whether, you know, is all the hype you know deserved, you know, it's taken him so long to get in at City. But I think I think Klopp the way he wants to treat Elliot is he he would prefer to have him close and have him around in training as much as possible. And then, like I say, just give him those minutes in the cups and see what else he can build on from there. But yeah there's a, there's absolutely no doubt at Liverpool that you know they think they've got a special special talent on hand in in Harvey Elliott and it's it's quite exciting really for next season to see a bit more of him at Anfield.
0: There's a piece on thepool.com which I predict he will uh blow the Premier League um by storm and and, and be uh, the next revelation which I am probably wrong in as I am with everything. So do head over and read that. Um cuz there's, no, there's no more incentive there than than that plug from me. <laughs> one man who doesn't know his way around a four two four Ollie is clearly Michael Arteta. Um he got that one wrong, didn't he, just a bit <laughs> they're awful, aren't they?
2: They're all I, I, I don't even understand what, what they're trying to be.
0: Could I do really... understand what he was trying to do. I can. I you can, can can't... understand what the Pepe the Pepe sort of stretching it right side. I think his problem is he doesn't have a Smith-Roll or Saka on the left and he has to go with a Bamiyang.
2: I think I think their big problem is how reliant they are on David Luiz, Xhaka, um, Smith Rowe, and Saka, and two of them are wholly unreliable and borderline awful, and the other two are, are teenagers and, and young lads. And this is Arsenal Football Club, and it's not like they've been penny pinching for the last decade. You know, there's some serious wages in the squad. There's some serious money to be spent in the transfer window, and you really felt like Mikel Arteta would at least come with a with a coherent doctrine, some kind of um, some kind of just some kind of sense of how he wanted the team to look and you will be able to just kind of map out in your head we all thought it was just gonna be pep guardiola rock so it might not be as good but you know they'll have a, a coherent way of playing and this dig in defend and will be really dogged in defense and like you say stretch the play on one side i thought that was like a five six game thing at the back end the last season just to get over the line for it to continue like this and then be that awful for this long is it's just confusing
0: does it offer us, Joel, more more evidence that this league is in a continuing sort of state of flux? It's it, we we still talk about the, the top six as a concept, but I mean we're talking about them in all but reputation now. In, in terms of what what we're putting out in, in certain teams and Arsenal, one who you look at and you think, well, you know, you could make really good arguments with the likes of, of Leicester, you know, maybe even Everton as being teams who. A, an opposite trajectory you can argue and, a, and a, they look they look a lot further ahead than Arsenal some of them Yeah I think that's
3: definitely the poorest Arsenal side I've seen in my lifetime really probably of the Premier League era to be honest It just offered absolutely nothing like Ollie said from the first whistle I don't think there's been a Liverpool game this season where I've been less stressed watching it they just never apart from the fact that it obviously took a while to get the breakthrough they just offered nothing going forward and obviously are kind of quite flawed at the back as well um, but I think if you had to kind of look ahead to next season now and and try and predict um, how the, kind of the top six of the European places look, I, I'm no way I'm putting Arsenal in there. Even if they go ahead and have quite a decent summer transfer window, I just think Abba's have kind of come to the fore. I don't think there's any reason really why Leicester should fall off. They've got players there who are kind of in, in that similar age bracket to the ones Liverpool have had huge amount of success in. I think the likes of Madison Barnes and Didi, they're all sort of early, mid-20s who have probably still got their peak years kind of to come, really, in two or three seasons' time. So I think Leicester are are one that I just kind of see being in and around. I'm not saying they'll definitely be Champions League um, kind of the next four or five seasons, but they'll be in the mix, I think. Um, West Ham, again, I'd kind of go back to it, was in our pre-season predictions. I did actually say they might have a decent season. Um, They're one I can see hanging around, and Everton too. So I think in terms of the big six being a traditional kind of structure going forward, I, I struggle to see it. Tottenham as well, are just another one that I know they're kind of are they are level on points now, I think Liverpool just ahead on goal difference. Um but they're they're one that I just I mean I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mourinho's gone in the summer, especially if they've kind of finished trophyless again. They're they're in a massive state of flux because I think Kane um he's coming up to 27, 28 now. And he's breaking all these goal records. He could quite feasibly, I think, go on and and overtake Shearer by the end of his career as the all-time Premier League top scorer. For him to kind of be coming into what are potentially kind of the three peak years of his career and still have absolutely nothing in the cabinet to show for it, wouldn't be that surprised if kind of they get a big offer knocking this summer. Um, And I think for the first time, it's not that beyond realms of possibility that he might want to look elsewhere. And then you obviously got the likes of Son. Um, similar sort of situation. I think Spurs are one that have obviously been such a kind of prominent part of that big kind of big six or top four pitcher now for so many seasons. I think they're one that are in a real kind of uncertain situation going forward. So, yeah, I agree. As as for kind of the big six as we know it, um, I think the next few seasons and this one, obviously, um, that's that's
0: not going to be the case going forward. There's a real problem, Dave, isn't there with the sort of buying pool that, that Arsenal and Tottenham are in. You know, you, you couldn't envisage now that, that Arsenal could go and get a, a, a Mesut Ozil when he was at Real Madrid, for example. And I think Liverpool suffered with this, you know, around the Rodgers years, in that there was a clear sort of knowing your place in the food chain. And, and Liverpool's was, was one which very quickly became they could have the best players taken from them and the players they could buy were were to some degree a risk and and the more this sort of the more this sort of stagnates with both of those london sides the more you can see that the their options to go and sort of yeah shop at the the highest market are going to they're just going to be limited and dissipated
1: yeah that's it and that's their route out of this is to buy better players isn't it and i think you, you really struggle to see how they managed to do that because you know like you say with liverpool's position when when they were in the rogers it was okay, a, a, a player says to his, his agent that he wants to go to and play in the Premier League and that he'd be open to any offers from there. And you start looking at the clubs he might want to go to and, you know, he would be looking at Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, all the teams that were above Liverpool at the time and they were supposed to have to, tr- you know, try and crack into the top four. Tottenham were flying at that point and it's you know, Arsenal are even further down that list now. I would argue that, you know, even Leicester might be a more appealing project considering what they've done for players at the moment. They look like a really good stepping stone club, don't they? And they really develop some nice talent there. So, it's yeah, it's difficult for Arsenal to see how they get around that. I think the, the way Liverpool got over that was by pointing a, a world-class manager, a huge name, who was going to attract talent to the club and, you know, Arsenal haven't got that at the moment. I don't think there's players really chomping at the bit to, to play under Mikel Arteta at the moment. Particularly the style of football doesn't seem to be a real identity there either or you know a real project that you think you could buy into as a player. So, yeah, it's it's really difficult to see how they sort of recover from that. And uh, you know, I think it's another, maybe a difficult summer ahead for them because they've got some big decisions to make, I think, in terms of the composition of that squad. But I don't think that they really are an attractive destination at the moment. So, it's uh, yeah, they're in a really difficult position.
0: Well, Oli, we, uh, we're looking ahead to Liverpool uh, travelling to Madrid tomorrow to take on Real Madrid in the, the quarter-final of the Champions League. It's it's a huge game, as we know. Um, it's it's one in which everyone's sort of been looking forward to since the draw was made. I mean, Zinedine Zidane's been speaking before the game. He's talked about Madrid's sort of placing a pack and order, their, their injury updates, etc., Liverpool have got to go there with with nothing to fear, right? That even you know a sort of a ghoul of of Eden Hazard of years gone by isn't isn't going to scare them going into this one.
2: No, you got to remember as well, Madrid have the Clasico at the weekend, and, and Zidane has to know he does not have the horses for European Cup battle this year I know that it's synonymous with the club they care about it infinitely more than the league title even but they're right there in the league in a year where they've just been decimated by COVID and injuries and all kind of of nonsense as frankly has gone on for Madrid this year it's just been a mess so to find themselves a real shot at winning the league title after all that I, I think that they will have their eyes fully on that and he has to know even against Liverpool, if Liverpool's in you know free-flowing great form and Arsenal's about as good as you can hope for going into that, he doesn't have the horses to run with that. He d- certainly doesn't have it for Bayern or City um, later down later on in the competition. The team is just old, it's slow, and and there is talent there. Don't get me wrong. You've got Odri Thorla coming back through. They obviously have Vinicius, who is probably the the game changer that could do something magical for you. Benzema's still in unbelievable form. The midfield field trio is still excellent, and they can still dictate the flow of any game in Europe. And they kind of hope that they can maybe, you know, keep the rhythm flowing and then rip you open three or four times during a game and really be clinical and make it count. That's that's the formula there. And you could see them doing it just on nous and guile and understanding and all that type of stuff. And maybe they, they nick a goal in the first leg and shut down shop in the second one. But it's just it's not in any way an imposing Real Madrid side. You're also you went, you're going to you know a training ground essentially rather than the burnabout. It's just the 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 vibe and awe of Real Madrid. It's not there with this team. It, it, it's a completely different team. You take the names off the shirts and, it, and it's just a bang average team you're playing in Europe. And I think Liverpool should be really confident going into it.
0: Joel, I mean, what what will serve Liverpool well in this game is is the recent um, manner in which they've adopted patience to win games. You know, you think of both Leipzig games, they, they didn't panic. Um, they hung on over over the both games using both legs to, to ensure they can win the game later but then you've also you know you've got Arsenal which we spoke about we've got Wolves before that this is a team now not conceding goals which you know is, is a massive benefit and a massive positive, positive going into a game like this and I'm sure they'll they'll buy the time with this one if they need to I think so yeah I think the whole kind of
3: Moving Fabinho back into the midfield really has changed everything for Liverpool over his last three games. I think as much as Kabak and Phillips deserve a huge amount of credit for how well they've done, I think it's it's no coincidence that they kept three consecutive clean sheets now with Fabinho there. Um, Because the the knock-on for the rest of the team is enormous. It helps the full-backs, it helps the centre-backs. I think it helps the front three in terms of sustaining pressure and, and pinning teams back. Um, and also Thiago, I think that those two, Fabinho and Thiago, together, um, you can really pretty much pick anyone I think to go with them. I think we all expect, um, given he was rested against Arsenal, when Alden will come back in there, and the the amount of kind of experience and now you've got the balance of defensive and offensive attributes between those three, Fabinho, when Alden, Thiago, is is kind of ideal really for a European tie like this. And I agree in terms of the patience thing. Looking at Real Madrid's likely starting eleven, I know there's a few kind of debatable ones there, but a lot of their key players really are kind of getting on now. I think Modric is 35, Benzema's had a really good season in front of goal but he's 33. Marcelo still getting games, he's 32. There's a lot of players there who you can see struggling to live with Liverpool's pace and intensity. Um if the game sort of gets to around the 65 70 minute mark and it's still tight, you can imagine Liverpool are hanging in there they'll be the kind of the strongest team um, towards the end of the game. So have, an, have a look as well um, beforehand at, at Real Madrid's kind of scorers this season and where their actual threat is. And it's, it's staggering, really. I think you've got Benzema is on 25 goals in all competitions. And then the next top scorer is on six. Uh, and that's Asensio, who's hardly a kind of prolific player. Um, and then I think after that, it's, it's Ramos, who's on four. He's obviously going to miss the game for injury. Modric has got a few... Even players like Vinicius who always mentioned, they're obviously talented, um, quick and skillful, and can be dangerous. But I think they've only scored two or three this season. It really is all about Benzema and there's just not a lot else um, coming from anywhere else. And I know you, you could have made an argument for Liverpool, that it's kind of sallow or nothing um, in recent months. But now that Jota's back, that's very much not the case. You can see Liverpool kind of getting goals there and... I think that's the thing that there isn't. You don't look at it and think there's a huge amount of fear. Um, I know we mentioned this morning, there's the kind of the Eden Hazard question. I think he might be available now. I think he's been training for them. He's had a huge amount of injury problems, obviously. Um, but he's he's not been performing consistently at a high level because he's not been on the pitch, really, for coming on two years now. Um, and again, he's kind of scored two or three goals this season. But compared to the last time Liverpool played Real Madrid, where you're looking across and there's this three, four players there who you think, can really hurt you it's not the case now it's it's essentially a 33 year old Benzema who who will score if he gets chances um but if you can keep him quiet other than that they are kind of relatively blunt as a team the the timing here is everything Uh, as we're recording they said Hazard isn't in the
2: squad so he's not going to travel okay Um, he's just not in the squad um they don't score goals from open play I think they've scored one more than Liverpool this season open play obviously a different Mm -hmm. league um and same as with Liverpool, you can argue fractured squad, you know, everyone's coming and going, COVID injuries, exact same setup. it's the exact same stodgy look that Liverpool fans had to deal with, watch that Madrid team, but Liverpool now have some degree of consistency, some degree of continuity. They know what it's going to look like. They have options going in. Do we play Firmino? Do we play Jota? What a wonderful decision to be able to make. Zidane is looking around going, my team can't score goals except for from corners. And I don't know what lineup to put out there. It's a completely different thing. So it's just a timing situation for me. Liverpool are in better form. It makes more sense on paper in that Real Madrid team It's not fearful in any way.
0: Dave, I mean, we've got to expect when Arlton comes back in for Milner. Um, there was never a more pre planned sub than the, the Robertson one on, on Saturday. I guess to sort of end where we started, really. I mean, the question in many centres around Liverpool comes back to, to Jota do, do they keep him on the bench and go with the front three? Uh, you use that that element of patience, or do do they decide he has to play?
1: I, I think he's I think he's got to play. Hasn't he? I, I he? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's such a tough one this because I think he's got to play, and I think we, like we've said, the one in the, th- the front three who's arguably under the most threat from Jota would typically be Firmino in terms of his form this season. But I think you then you can't leave Firmino out of the big game like this. You just can't in terms of what he does in occupying centre backs, closing off spaces. Shutting down passing lanes. He's, he's the best of the front three at doing that sort of stuff and the real dirty work. So you would you can't think about playing Real Madrid away and not putting Firmino in that team. So then, you know, is it do you leave Sadio Mane on the bench? That, you know, on his form, you could probably justify it, but it, it seems like a crazy thing to do given what we know he's achieved over recent years. It's I'm so glad I'm not a manager. Basically, I think it's a really tough one. I think I think I think maybe maybe go with start Jotter and maybe leave Marnie on the bench. But that seems madness now, just saying that out loud. <laughs> but I've said it It's done. I was going to say, I think
3: we might be able to kind of have a conversation for me you know, about the fact that he's only just come back from an injury and that he's trying to manage his game time. So if he says to him that started the Arsenal game, bench you here, maybe come on on 65, 70 if we need you, but he starts Villa at the weekend, I think you can make a sort of managing his game time um, a fitness argument around Firmino just purely off the back of his injury. I think he only came back into full training kind of sometime into that break that Liverpool had. So it wasn't like he was having three weeks at, at Kirby. He's he's only been in, I think, for sort of 10 days or so now. So I think you might just say, yeah, we start the league games and, and we'll use him off the bench. And I think, to be honest, that's a great option. There's been kind of several games in the past where Firmino's come on. Um, there was a few, I think, at kind the of start of last season. I remember the Super Cup actually against Chelsea where. Firmino doesn't start as a big game and then he comes on, scores, um, sets up the other one. I think he can be a bit of an underrated aspect of Firmino. I think he is quite effective as a sub um, if we'll need him. So I think that's probably what I'd be doing and, and go with Jota from the start.
1: To be fair, it's probably an underrated aspect just on the element that it rarely happens. So that, yeah. That's what it's interesting about is that you know, will Klopp he, surely? I, I just can he resist the temptation to lean on Firmino in a big game because he, you know, he, he's so he's so important and has been so integral in those big performances in in recent years. It's it, that's what you know. I think that's what makes it tough, isn't it? And that's that's why managers get paid what they do. Uh, uh, one he, word. Go on,
2: He's got to be really. He's got to be really thinking about playing all four in this one. I know it would be a massive gamble. I know their midfield three is the, is the best part of their team and they can dominate a game against anyone, basically. But they have got no Carver Al, no Ramos. They are reeling. And Zidane, who is already talking about how he fancies extra time in the second leg, by the way, is really mm-hmm. saying, let's just survive this one and make the next one a cup final and hope for the best and see who's available then. If you can come out in the first 25 minutes and say, we've got all four of them and we are coming at you and we're going to try and do a little all of old. It's going to be 17, 18. And let's try and stick to Aston them the first. 25. I understand the patients point down, but there's got to be a bit of them just look at each other with grimaces, like, how about we just
0: roll all four of them out and let's have this. This could be really fun. They've got to at least be thinking about it. Totally, yeah. I mean, but I, I think you can also make an argument with that that potentially there's, there's the possibility that everything can, right, considering we've just played Saturday, now we're playing Tuesday. Whoever you put out there, give me 90 minutes of running 60, and then you've got five subs as well you then look on the hour to do maybe three that then says when Madrid are flagging you go and sort of get another 3-0 in the last half an hour you might look at it that way I'm not sure I mean let's go let's just go round and end with the one word answer to the question um, Dave does Jota start? Yes Joe? yeah Ollie yep no I'm going to say no he doesn't <laughs> um, and I'm not going to explain myself anymore but thank <laughs> you very much to David Lynch to Ollie Connolly on to all benefits. That's been this week's Liverpool.com podcast. See you all soon.